chapter 24, we're in this great series in the book of Proverbs called Pro Tips for Living Well, and I'm going to talk about uh, just a couple verses today in chapter 24 and um, share with you something that is near to my heart, but what I've discovered is also very near to Solomon's heart and very important in his life, and I think gives us something to launch off of and study this morning and get very comfortable and familiar and grow in. So um, how many of you know who the Army Rangers are? This elite group of special forces in our army that do a great job of protecting us as Americans. They do a great job of serving. And uh, in the Army Ranger Creed, there's one line that I wanted to highlight with you this morning and show you something that is near to their heart, but this is kind of, this is a big part of their creed as army rangers. This is what they believe. I will never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. That's a creed of the army rangers. It's also a creed of the Marines. You've probably heard the Marines say this as well. Leave no one behind, no matter the cost, human or otherwise, of bringing them out. You've probably heard that Cheney Faith Center has a creed. We exist to help people know Jesus and live for him daily. That's our creed to help leave no one behind. And what's interesting to me is Solomon also has a creed. Listen to Solomon's wisdom and to Solomon's creed in Proverbs chapter 24 verse 11 and 12. Solomon says this, go and rescue the perishing. Be their savior. Why would you stand back and watch them stagger to their death? And why would you say, but it's none of my business? The one who knows you completely and judges your every motive is also the keeper of souls and not just yours. He sees through your excuses and holds you responsible for failing to help those whose lives are threatened. Now there's something very interesting in this, these two verses that Solomon is declaring in his wisdom to us. Two things that I think Solomon is keenly aware of that are incredibly important realizations for him and for us. Here's these two things that Solomon is saying. Number one, there are people dying. And number two, they can be rescued. Now here's what's interesting. We all know that physical death is coming at one point or another. We can't avoid it. It's death and taxes, right? We can't avoid taxes. In fact, I think we might be able to avoid death easier than taxes. Anybody else agree with me on that one? I, mean, I can prolong some things, but I can't stop taxes, right? Here's what's interesting. Solomon says this. Here's what we all need to understand. Death is coming. That's a physical reality. But that's not the kind of death he's talking about, is he? Solomon is talking about spiritual death. Solomon is talking about what causes death in people. And as we've read the book of Proverbs, we've discovered that what causes death in people is foolishness. And Solomon defines foolishness as well. So he helps us twofold. That foolishness 
is denying God, denying his existence, denying relationship with him while you're alive here, not living in his wisdom, but going through life on your own without him, without his love and his grace and his joy and his purpose and his will for you and living in his righteousness. In chapter 11, Solomon said, the righteous attain life, but whoever pursues evil finds death. See, Solomon knew these two things. There are people dying and they can be rescued. Now, interestingly, Solomon also has an answer for these two observations. And his answer to those of us that understand salvation in Christ is this. You rescue them. This is your job. You go and rescue people. So we understand these two things. I'm either in this camp where I need to be out rescuing people, or I'm in the other camp where I need to be rescued. Which are you? See, all around us, there are comrades that are falling into the hands of the enemy, and we must leave no one behind, no matter the cost. And so Solomon's words can echo in our thoughts, in our ears, in our minds, in our spirits, all throughout every day. Go and rescue the perishing. Be their savior. Why would you stand back and watch them stagger to their death? Now, physically, what would the army ranger do? He would engage in battle. What would the marine do? He would not run the other way. He would head into battle. I have a friend that's a Marine, and he said one of the things that the Marines do in their training is they fire bullets at you often to get you to get into the framework of going into battle instead of running away from battle. And he said normally it takes you about six weeks for the natural reaction of your body, your mind, your spirit, your protection, your defenses to when you hear gunfire to not go, let's go that way. But through training, the Marines and the Army Rangers learn to run into battle. That's astounding. Let me ask you a question as a Christian. If you are a Christian this morning, do you run into spiritual battle? Or do you run away from it? Do you pursue rescuing the lost and the perishing? Or do you ignore them and say, ah, none of my business. Solomon is challenging us deeply this morning. Now, some of you might say, or lots of people will say, pastor, there's no battle going on. That's just your perception. That's just your assumption. That's just your religious nonsense. Really? There's no battle? There's no battle for right and wrong in every society in our world. There's no battle for good and evil. There's no battle for wisdom and foolishness. I don't see that battle happening. I think I do. I think I see it happening everywhere around me. See, the battle is for God's existence in the hearts of men. And Solomon has been discussing it for 28 chapters. See, the battle was real in his day 3,000 years ago, and it's still the largest and longest battle that's ever been happening, the battle for the human soul, the battle that all of us go through during our lifetime. Now, the sad part that Solomon declares to us is 
that this battle has casualties. There are casualties in this war. There are perishing. There are lives being threatened. And Solomon would say this, we often, our lives get threatened and our lives are perishing when we get stuck in the foolishness of man. When we get stuck in the schemes of Satan himself and the temptations of this world have so overtaken our life, we become like a perishing person even though we're alive. And if you are spiritually aware today, this morning, then you might even understand those battle lines and be able to see them clearly defined in the world. You can see the armies fighting for the souls of mankind. You can hear the dark warriors speaking manipulative words designed to pull mankind away from God. The battle is real. Now, the battle's not with bullets. The battle's not with bombs. It's fought with thoughts and ideas, philosophies, lifestyles. These thoughts and ideas and lifestyles are designed to pull us away from our Heavenly Father. Now, here's what's interesting. No one that's pulling us away from God actually declares that. They don't ever say that. None of the thoughts, none of the schemes, none of the temptations actually say, what I'm really trying to do is pull you away from God. No evolutionary scientist actually says, what I'm trying to get you to do is not believe in God. But is that what they're doing? Absolutely. That's what the whole idea is about. And so what happens is instead of these ideas declaring themselves right in front of us and telling us the truth, you and I get sucked into what is kind of a subtle manipulation or lie. Instead of actually coming right out and saying it, they just encourage us towards our own selfish desires. Because the enemy knows if we just continue in our own selfishness and want to live life our own selfish way, live that way long enough, we will deny the existence of God by our actions, our habits, and our thinking. Now, all of us in the room have done that. In fact, little do you know, I'm a professional selfishness. Are you? I am. I'm professional at being selfish. What that means is that most of the time, in any situation, I want to do what I want. <laughs> That's just natural. That's part of our sinful nature. It's part of who we are. It's part of mankind. It's part of being human. It's part of living in a world that is going away from God instead of towards God. It's just the natural response of you and I. And the Bible is always trying to get us to respond, to live in our righteousness instead of in our selfishness. But when I live in my selfishness, I'll add a little Halloween to us this morning, just a couple days, we become actually the walking dead. That's actually what we are. We're a zombie. On the outside, physically, I can do all of these things, but I'm staggering to my death. Because on the inside, my heart, my mind, they're not working correctly. My heart and my mind are not in conjunction. My spirit and my heart and my mind are not working properly. Physically on the outside, I can work fine. I can work properly. But my spirit and my heart and my mind are not working together because the God who created them has not been acknowledged and served and devoted to 
And so those three things cannot be connected. My selfishness rules me and I become like a walking dead person because spiritual death is taking over. Now the battle began when Adam and Eve disobeyed God the very first time. But the battle continues every time you and I disobey God's wisdom in our generation. Every time you and I disobey God, we recognize the battle is still happening, right? As we start feeling guilty, start feeling shame, start feeling unforgiven, the battle's raging. It's raging in my heart. It's raging in my mind. It's raging in my soul. And we have to remember there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, then you're challenged with that and you need Christ in your life. But here's the good news that I want to reveal to you this morning. It's really, really good news. And it's this, that the battle can end for you at any time. At any moment, the battle can end. Because that's why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross And as he was dying on the cross, his last words in his last breath is this. It is finished. This battle for the souls of mankind, it can be over and done for you when you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you say yes to who Jesus is and you begin to walk in the wisdom of God instead of the foolishness of your selfishness, you become saved. It's over for you. The battle is over and you now come back to life. Now, if you're a believer in the room, that's your calling. Go and rescue the perishing. These are Solomon's words. Go and rescue the perishing. Be their savior. Now, let me ask you a question. Do Solomon's words sound familiar to someone else you might know? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the words of Solomon and the words of Jesus are presented to us and both of them say, go and rescue the perishing. Go and make disciples. Now Solomon also knows why we often Don't engage in the battle for people's souls. Why we run away from the battle instead of into the battle. And here's what Solomon says. We've been convinced that it's none of my business. Now I find this phrase, none of my business, extraordinary. How could a man who wrote 3,000 years ago know exactly the excuse that we would use in 2019? That's astounding because this is exactly what the world is preaching right now. Listen, let's not talk about politics or religion. You live how you want. I'll live how I want. And I'll just say it's none of my business. It's not your business how I live. It's not my business how you live. It's none of my business. And while it's all none of our business, Our spiritual life is threatened and we're perishing because we don't know Jesus. This is the excuse that we use. It's none of my business. But in verse 12, at the end of verse 12, Solomon says this. He sees 
through our excuses and holds us responsible for failing to help those whose lives are threatened. God is saying, I I will hold you responsible for not doing the number one most important thing as a believer. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said this as a parent? Or maybe you've heard this as a child. I don't want to hear any of your excuses. Anybody ever said that? I've said it as a parent. I don't want to hear any of your excuses. I told you what to do. You didn't do it. So stop playing and go finish your chores. I heard this often because I was a professional player. I could play with the best and I still can. There, ask Kate, chores are last on my list. Playing is first on my list every time, right? Because I love to play, don't like to do chores. But that just means there's consequences that I often pay for in the end. Is it right as a parent for you to say to your child, you need to do your work first as the authority in your home? Absolutely. Absolutely. So is it right for God as the authority of mankind and as our King of kings and Lord of lords to say, I will hold you responsible for one of my commands? Absolutely. And his command is go and rescue the perishing. Go and make disciples. Now here's what's interesting. Solomon doesn't tell us what the consequences are, but I don't intend to find out. Do you? Let's just not find out. Let's not find out what the consequences are at all. Let's just obey what he says. And see people whose lives are threatened and answer the call. Let's love our world. Let's help people know Jesus and live for him daily. Let's rescue our fellow man and leave no one behind. Let's help those whose lives are being threatened. Now Solomon connects this idea of going and rescuing the perishing to the wisdom of God in the next two verses. In verses 13 and 14, Solomon says something else extraordinary that we have looked at for weeks now that we would say is Solomon's most vocal pro tip for living well. He says in verse 13, revelation knowledge is a delicacy. In other words, this this knowledge that can come into your life that is a revelation from only one source, God himself. Revelation knowledge that can come into your life is a delicacy. And then he describes it. It's sweet, like flowing honey that melts in your mouth. Eat as much of it as you can, my friend, For then you will perceive what is true wisdom. Your future will be bright, and this hope living within will never disappoint you. See, Solomon is declaring that it is much better to live in wisdom than to perish in our selfishness, in our foolishness. And so Solomon compares the wisdom and the revelation knowledge of God to a delicacy. In other words, it's rare. 
That's what a delicacy is. It's something that is rare, but it's also something that is delightful. It's something that is pleasing, and generally it's sweet. And Solomon says, here's something from my day that was super sweet. We didn't have Snickers and Kit Kat and Twix. We had honey. It was our candy bar, and that's all we had. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to compare wisdom to honey. Now, Solomon says, wouldn't it be great to have honey just flowing in your mouth all the time? And you could just eat as much of it as you can. That's what life should be like. See, Solomon is saying that God's wisdom can do that. God's wisdom can flow in and out of your life all the days of your life, and you can experience God's wisdom and his revelation knowledge every single day when you acknowledge relationship with God. And when you're living in relationship with God, his wisdom and his revelation knowledge come into your life and you get to eat it and live with it all the days of your life, all throughout the day, all day long, like having something sweet, like honey, all the time. Could you imagine just having a Twix bar in your pocket all the time and you get to eat it whenever you want? That sounds great. Now, here's what I want to... I want to show you something this morning. I think... I think I want to help us understand this better, even better this morning. Because I think you and I have a delicacy as well in our life, in our day, that is like this sweet flowing honey that just happens all the time. So would you give a warm clap welcome here at Cheney Face Center as this comes down the aisle, the chocolate fountain. Yes. Look at that. Look at this delicacy, the chocolate fountain. Now, I think, I think a modern day example of the flowing goodness of God's wisdom is a chocolate fountain. Look at the amazing chocolate. Now watch, watch the goodness of God begin to bubble up and flow into your life. <laughs> ah. This is what God's wisdom is like. It's like a chocolate fountain, a delicacy that you and I pull out on special occasions because it's so awesome. It's so great. It's so fun. This is what the wisdom of God is like. And it should flow into our life. Now, let me, let me just tell you something. Most of the things on this cart are delicious all by themselves. Like, could you eat a marshmallow all by itself? Of course. Could you eat Rice Krispie treats all by themselves? Absolutely. Anybody want an Oreo? Just fine. Strawberries? They're perfectly fine. Pineapples? Eh, Not so much. I found there are pineapple people and there are not pineapple people. I'm a not pineapple people. Please put meat on my pizza. Who is in the world thought of putting pineapple on pizza? That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. This is a caramel wafer. It is perfectly fine by itself. I love, I love, I love pretzels. I do love pretzels. But a pretzel with chocolate? Now that 
is a delicacy. Oh, what do you say, Jonathan? Think so? Uh, he agrees. Now follow me. Solomon says this. The wisdom of God is like honey. It's like this flowing fountain. The wisdom of God makes everything better. This chocolate fountain makes all of these things better. In fact, you know what's interesting? I'm not even a strawberry guy. I don't like strawberries. But you put this strawberry in this chocolate, and all of a sudden, I just became a strawberry guy. <laughs> because the wisdom of God, just like this fountain, makes everything better. Now, Rice Krispie treats, they're my favorite. But put chocolate on it. Now, it's my favorite favorite. Here's the point that Solomon is trying to make and that we need to understand. Without the wisdom of God, you don't have a chocolate fountain. Without relationship with God, you don't have a chocolate fountain in your life. When I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit is living in me, I have a chocolate fountain. And everything in my life has the opportunity to get better when I add the wisdom of God to it. My finances can get better because I add the wisdom of God to them. My marriage can get better because I'm not being a husband on my own. I'm letting God help me be a husband. Everything that I do, because I've added the wisdom of God to it, can turn out better because God's in the middle of it. And that's exactly what Solomon is trying to say. That you and I need the wisdom of God in our life. Without God, no fountain. With God, chocolate fountain. This is extremely important. And it's the entire reason that Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. To tell us as mankind and to have record that the wisest person ever to live believed something extremely important. And what he believed is that you, should, you and I should live in the wisdom of God. We should not live in our own foolishness. We should live in God's wisdom. Now, let me put these two thoughts together as we close. Having a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ and having the Holy Spirit living in you means you have the wisdom of God. Because the Holy Spirit is now living in you, God's Spirit, and so the wisdom of God gets to flow in and through you. So it leads to this deep, deep, overarching question that has been a part of mankind forever. Do you have a relationship with God? Are you living in his wisdom? Or are you 
doing life your own way. It's really, the concept is that simple. But it's not as simple to start a relationship with, with God. It's not that simple to stay in relationship with God. In fact, here's what I've learned. When you and I begin to want to start a relationship with God, that's when the battle just begins. You might be sitting here today and realize you don't have a relationship with God. And I can bet you right now that there is a battle happening right now where you sit, right in your brain, right in your heart, right in your spirit. The battle is happening right now. You might even be giving excuses and thinking of excuses right now why, why you shouldn't believe in God. And what is that a, re- a revelation of? It's a re- revelation of the battle for your soul that's happening right as you sit in that seat. It's a revelation that this battle is real, that God is real, and that there's somebody who doesn't want you in relationship with God, doesn't want you to understand the goodness of a chocolate fountain and God's wisdom in your life. He wants you to go on your own apart from God. You're in a battle for eternity right now. You're in a battle for your own soul, for your own life. And I want to encourage you to choose Jesus. I want to encourage you to embrace wisdom. I want to encourage you to grab the life ring and be rescued. Now, if you're going to be rescued, if you're going to say yes to God, then you have to acknowledge a couple things. The first thing you have to acknowledge is that you make mistakes just like the rest of us, because we all make mistakes and that you need a Savior. Second, you have to acknowledge that Jesus is that Savior, that He went and died on a cross, and He rose again so that you and I might have eternal life and life to the full while we're here on earth. And third, you have to choose to live for Jesus all the days of your life. This is the simple yet extremely profound wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs, from Solomon, and in every book in the Bible. So would you stand with me this morning? And I want to close in a word of prayer. So would you just bow your head with me and close your eyes because I want to ask some important questions this morning. I just have two. The first one is this. Is there anyone in the room who wants to start a relationship with Jesus Christ? If there is, if that's you this morning, you would say, this is exactly what I need. I need Jesus in my life. I need the wisdom of God in my life. It's the most important thing, and that's what I need. If that's what you want this morning, I'm going to ask you, because what you're saying for the very first time as I'm starting a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to just raise your hand high. By raising your hand high, you're saying, this, I'm saying yes to Jesus today. I want him in my life. You're saying, uh, I made mistakes. I need Jesus as my Savior. 
and I'm going to live for him all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord. Those of you that have raised your hands right now, I want to encourage you to go to our next step station right as you leave. Would you just tell that person that this morning you said yes to Jesus? They'd like to give you a Bible if you don't have one and just connect with you about what you can do since you said yes to Jesus. Here's my second question. This is for those of you in the room that have a chocolate fountain in your life. My question is this. Are you rescuing the perishing? Do you see them around you? Or do you just go to work and do your own thing and live your own life and just say, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I, I kind of do my own thing. I'm like 10% Jesus and 90% me. And Solomon would say, we got to flip that around. It needs to be about Jesus. If you're here this morning and you'd like to say, Pastor Mark, I, I need to sign up to go and rescue the world. And I don't know how all that works yet. And that doesn't mean I'm going to Africa tomorrow. It just means I need to be more focused on rescuing people. And you say, that's what I need to do and that's what I want to do. Would you raise your hand? Thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you that your wisdom is available to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But that wisdom only comes into our life when we're in a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to do that, to say yes to you. Those that said yes to you this morning, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would begin to help them on their journey. Help them on their spiritual journey of saying yes to you, Jesus, because what they did today was the most important decision they've ever made in their life. And they need to learn how to live it out. I pray that you would help them with that decision. Holy Spirit, would you come into their life right now and begin to change things from the inside out, begin to transform their thinking and their heart and give them just great communion with you and your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to be people that go and rescue the perishing, that we would see people all around us that need you, that we would use our gifts and our talents and our resources and our time and everything that we have to see that there are people out there that need you and that we would have the kind of mindset that we don't want to leave anyone behind. That when we go to heaven, there'll be a line behind us of people that said yes to you because we were committed to them, to love them in Jesus' name.